0: What is up? Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the HeliPod. Very pumped to be introducing this week's guest, a three-time Pro Bowler, a former NFL rushing champion, and the pride of Jacksonville for most of his NFL career, MJD, Maurice Jones-Drew. Has some tremendous stories from his rookie year. Also going to tell us one NFL head coach, that he would never play for, no matter how much money you offered him. And an offensive coordinator that should have been a head coach yesterday. MJD, that transition from the Bay Area to UCLA to Jacksonville was very interesting. And you're going to want to hear about it. It's the Helipod presented by Viore with MJD. All right, here with one of my all-time favorites from NFL Network, Maurice Jones-Drew. And, J.D., when we were thinking about starting this podcast, we were talking about just doing it on somebody's rookie year. So a big chunk of this is going to be focused on rookie year. And, obviously, everybody knows you came out of UCLA and a uh, second-round pick, and um, that was the draft, too, where you also had two USC running backs yeah. um, select ahead of you, <laughs> uh, as, you right. as you fall into the second round. and And that's the reason... That you wore the number 32?
1: That was one of the reasons. Um, it, it's funny because coming out of high school, like obviously Reggie Bush being from San Diego, I'm being from the Bay Area, we've we always been compared to each other. And uh, I actually had the opportunity to go to USC. They had one running back there, Herschel Dennis at the time. Uh, but the backstory people, a lot of people know is they wanted me to play both ways. I was a, a, a decent I was a decent safety coming out of high school. So Troy Palomaro just left, went to Pittsburgh. So they were like, yo, we kind of see you in that role as well. And I'm like, look, I want to touch the rock. Like, I'm I, like, I know what I want to do. You want to
0: know part of defense in college.
1: I, I mean, yeah, at, at that point in my life, I just want I didn't want to tackle people anymore. Like I was done tackling. We had played some pretty big teams throughout my high school career. And like I didn't like the way I felt after tackling these big dudes. <laughs> so uh UCLA comes in, they're like, yo, like you like you're strictly gonna play running back here. So I was like, cool, I'll, I'll go there. Um obviously they had a running back coach that was my, my size, Eric B and so I knew at that point, like, he could give me uh, the tutelage and the knowledge to get to the next level. So, you know, we all leave after our junior year and the draft comes through. And, like, the one concern that everyone had was, like, how fast is he and how tall is he? And I was like, look, well, I can't, I can't really tell. I can't change how tall I am. Like, that's that's, that's something I can't do. But I could show you how fast I am. Mean, at that point, uh, that year, I, you know, we, I ran, like, 10, 5 in the 100. And we were actually, if I didn't leave, I was going to run track for UCLA at that point. And so, you know, I went out there, ran four 4-3, you know, did all those things, but people just couldn't get over my height, which was, which is one of the, you know, which was crazy to me because football is a game of leverage. But once I got drafted to Jacksonville, it was kind of like, all right, I have to put that behind me. Um, but I never wanted to get complacent. I never wanted to be a guy that came in the building every day and was just happy to be an NFL player. I always wanted to strive to be the best. So one of the ways that I used uh, was just wearing that number 32. So every time I looked at it, I, it would remind me of how I felt when, you know, some of these dudes were getting drafted ahead of me, you know? And, uh, it, you know, it, it definitely uh, ends up being a great story. But every day I would look at that number and it would it would just make me go harder, right? Like the days that I didn't feel like work waking up or the days that I didn't feel like pushing myself in practice, looking at that number and, and remembering all the stuff that I went through uh, was like, this is why I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go to work every day. You yeah. remember those running backs in that draft? That we I remember the last you? one of them. Yeah. I almost remember a lot, a lot of other people as well, but you want me to name them to you? Sure. Uh, first was Reggie Bush. I want to say second was either D'Angelo Williams or Lawrence Maroney. The second and third, yeah. got it. Yeah, then it was Joseph Adai. Yep. And then uh, Lindell White. And That's then, it. And then here's your boy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it is what it is, you know? Are you, being a Bruin in LA,
0: yeah. you're always playing second fiddle to USC, especially during that time frame. So did it piss you off even more that, I mean, Reggie was either yeah. gonna be the first pick or the second pick. Right. I mean, that was a given. We knew that, right. but the Lindale White went ahead of you? Uh,
1: I, the only thing that upset me more about Lindale is the, the, tr- the process of it. Lindale had a really good college career. You know, obviously everyone loved how explosive Reggie Bush was, but in some of those games, Lindell had literally closed out a ton of those games. Um, but he didn't run the 40. He didn't really do much at the combine. Uh, his pro day kind of shut it down early, right? And so, like, the process of what everyone else went through, he didn't go through. And that, that, that's a, is what upset me more than anything. And it's funny you bring that up because I remember we were playing the Titans and I'd be like, yo, like, y'all took him over me. Remember that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um a little but, extra motivation. Yeah. And it, like it I like, said, so I love Lindell. Lindell's awesome. He's a great dude. But it just, to me, at that point in our career, like, I just feel like he took advantage of the, of the process. He was, like, one of the first dudes to not do anything, you know? And so when everyone else is, like, pushing themselves and, and getting there and, and, you know, grinding all that, I mean, he was working out as well, but he got hurt or whatever it might have been. It just, he didn't put the numbers up that we had all put up or that I had put up. And so it, just, it was one of those things. Like, I, I, remember, I remember being on draft day, getting a call from Tony Dungy and the Colts waiting, like, for the second call to come back to be a Colt. Getting drafted by, or getting a call from, uh, getting a call from New England, right? They're supposed to draft me, they don't. Getting a call from Carolina, they don't draft me. Denver at 15 takes Jay Cutler instead of me. Uh, so they're calling you well,
0: to say we're not going
1: to draft you. Well, no, you, or they'll, they'll we, call you mean, to be like, hey, we just want to give you like you're 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 up on our chart, like we just want to make like so they get you. Make sure you're around. You're, make sure you're around, right? right. Um, Pittsburgh calls. Right, they take Santonio Holmes. Uh, So then we get in the second round, and like there's dudes that I've never heard of before in college, like getting drafted at this point. And it it gets frustrating for sure. Um, And it's so funny because when, when Jacksonville picked me at 60, I was like, like cool. Like it came across the board. I was happy. Literally after that, like I, my agent starts getting calls from teams, like why didn't you tell us? Like we were gonna, we'd have traded up for them. Like you should have told us that all this was going on. Like, woo, woo, woo. like uh, I'm like, you drafted all these other dudes when you could not <laughs> take me in the first round. So like, it did, so again, like that number represented so much more than just like getting passed up. It was just so like many other things, and so I just used that as as motivation every every time we would play a team. That, or, you know, I got to play the Colts twice a year. I got to play the Titans twice a year. I mean, Charlie Cashley picked Mario Williams and uh, D'Amico Ryans over me. You know, like, it was just, it was just, like, and I, we get, I work with them now. You with still remind him of that? I don't know if oh, every, never day, I, every day I talk to him. I'm like, you, remember, you know why you don't have a job, right? <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, it's, it's like, all those things, they they push you. You use them as motivation to push you. Like, yes, I love the game, but, you know, we, I had a lot of success as a rookie, and... Those were the reasons that I, I might, like I kept striving to be better. Was because of like little events like that throughout my NFL career.
0: Do you remember when you got there, your first mini camp, where where everybody was there, where, where the
1: veterans yeah. were there? Can't be. I, I, remember because it was the first time I met Fred, and uh, Fred Taylor. Fred Taylor. Yeah, and I was kind of like, I was nervous at first because you know I get drafted in the second round. I'm a running back. He's the guy. He's there. the guy there. And uh, first day, I was like, look, man, like, I don't know, like, kind of how this whole thing plays out or how you feel about it. I was like, look, I just want to learn as much as I can about the game from you. Like, big fan, watch you, watch your, your tape. Like, I just want to pick your brain. And it's funny because the person I trained with in the pre-the uh, pre combine process, mm-hmm. the, pre-draft, the pre-draft process, Fred trains with him. So it was like we had that connection. So he called Fred and was like, look, like, this is my guy. Like, you'll like him. And so, literally, from that point on, like, the rest of my career, I trained with Fred. Every, like, everywhere he went, I went. And I just trained with him, and I just picked his brain.
0: That must have been huge. Because oh, he could have been a guy that's like, oh, yeah, listen, I'm eight
1: years into the league. He had a
0: down year. He only played 11 oh, games no, like, that year. There's you a you bunch drafting. of
1: dickheads out there, yeah. man. Like, But he was, and it wasn't even that he had a down year. Like, they drafted me to return puns and kicks and be a third down, a third down back. Like, it just so happened that I, I could play first and second down. Um, but... Even though though those first couple years when I was with him, like I, told, I was like, bro, I just want to come in and impact the game and help the team win. Like I could care less about stats at this point. Um, I just wanted to help us win because, you know, you had Byron Leffridge, who's a really good quarterback. We had all oh, we had Matt Jones, like as much as people want to talk about, Matt Jones was a 6'6 wide receiver who ran a 4-3 and could catch the ball like nothing and ran great routes. Like, we had weapons. We had tight ends. We had offensive linemen. We had a defense that was top five. Yeah, we had everything you needed. And so I just wanted to come in and uh, really just impact the game. now, like, I have to tell you this story because it's it's crazy. Uh, So the first day I get there, you know, I had dreads. And, like, I'm coming from California. I come from San Francisco to L.A. And I go down to the south. And so, like, everyone there has dreads or gold teeth. You know what I'm saying? Like, dudes are like.
0: Come from Pahokee the, and, yeah, they're, they're, and they're, South they're, Florida. They're a little bit different than what I'm used sure.
1: to, and so I, I remember like sneaking in the bathroom and calling my agent, like, like bro, like what? Where am I? <laughs> like, I feel like I'm in prison. Like, this is because they were such, all of them great guys, by the way, all of them. But just they're they're intimidating. Like when you Greg Jones walking around with his shirt off, like, like I'm like, like who? Like who are these dudes? You know what I'm saying? Like it was just crazy, and it was funny because like. They were all nervous of me because I had like some issues in college, like some like fighting issues. So they didn't kind of know. Like it was like we were all kind of like trying to fill each other out a little right. bit. But uh, it was like it was one of the best experiences of my life because I learned how to deal with uh, one being uh, comfortable, being uncomfortable, which was awesome. Um, which
0: by the way makes you grow as a person. Oh, and you, and you need to do that every every
1: year well, or you two. Need to Yeah, you need to do that every day uh, down there, right? <laughs> um, but then two. Like those dudes, not, they weren't afraid to tell you when you were wrong, like if you were doing something that wasn't okay, and so uh, like they, they pushed you. Like it was great. Like so, like I ended up just, you know, coming from a place where I'd never seen anything like this to being adapted to it, like like that, you know. And I, I remember the first, <laughs> I remember the first time uh, we get in the training camp, and John Henderson is, you know, six five, Tennessee six eight. Tennessee Vol, baby. Yeah, that's your guy, three hundred and forty pounds, whatever. Bad it may be. man. And uh, I'm asleep on the couch. And they had always, Fred always told me, like, look, don't ever let them catch you sleeping. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, and it was one of those dog days of training camp we had two a day. Dude, I've caught you to... sleeping
0: before at the network. Yeah, you, you have.
1: I know. You have caught me talking about <laughs> hazing, rookie hazing. Um, but, and Big John comes in with his blowhorn. He's screaming, like, where are all the rookies at? Woo, 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 woo. And I wake up, like, oh, shoot. Here, here, here it's about to go down. So I'm trying to sneak out. And as I sneak out, Marcus Stroud comes in and is like, I got one right here. Uh-oh. I was like, oh, what are y'all about to do? So I go in there. I'm like, look, I'll do whatever. Like, just don't touch my hair. Like, don't cut my dreads. Like, oh, no, we'll never cut your dreads. So they cut my eyebrows off. Oh, no. So for two months, I didn't have eyebrows. You are eyebrowless? Eyebrows. It takes it was... two months for eyebrows to grow back? It takes a lot. Long... Like, your hair normally just don't grow right here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not... So, so you had dreads and no eyebrows. No eyebrows for two months. <laughs> and then I ended up cutting my dreads just because it was so hot in Jacksonville. Like, that's the other part. Like, you got to remember, like... humidity is different out there. I'm well, an East L- Coast yeah, guy. You know, yeah, LA is so, like, perfect. It's 75. Like, I'm at UCLA. We don't have a bubble. We have none of that because you don't need it here. It rains two weeks out of the year. Like, you're good. Like, our rainy season is over now. It rained but, in January. It's two days. done. Yeah, like, we're done. Yeah. I get down there... It is a 1,000 degrees outside, and then it rains, and it gets hotter after that. So I'm like, like, my head is, I got this NFL playbook. My head is spinning. I got these dudes hazing me, like, making me sing my fight song, telling how much I got paid, which I don't even know at this point because I haven't signed a, like, well, I did sign my contract then, but it's just like, like, I'm still worried about all this other stuff. And then eventually it just all clicked. Like, once the regular season hit, it just clicked,
0: you had a great rookie year. You had almost a thousand yards. You had thirteen touchdowns. You had over forty catches. Um you were an awesome one-two punch with Fred because he went over a thousand yards. I think you basically lengthened his career there in Jacksonville. What was there ever a point in time though when you felt like there were guys that weren't rooting for you to succeed?
1: No, not 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 there. I mean, there was games my second year where I felt like I remember there was a game we we're playing Buffalo and 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 how it kinda went was my first couple games my first year was kind of like we're going to ease you into it and then my third game we played the Colts and then they were kind of like "All right, we're going to go with the hot hand whoever gets hot Um, but Fred would always be like he'd always get the the beginning of it like we're going to put you out there give you a chance to get hot early and then if you're struggling we'll put him in and we'll put me in and we'll kind of go but I remember we were playing Buffalo my second year and we are slapping Buffalo I mean we are slapping them but for some reason, I cannot get off. I mean, I couldn't do anything. I had, at one point, I think I had like six carries for negative nine yards. <laughs> I was disgusted with myself, and I'm in my like. Then you start to go in. It's like, like man, why are they calling these plays for me? You know what I'm saying? Like, like what is going on? All these different things, and and eventually I end up breaking a run, and I end up getting into positive, and I have like 50 yards on like 10 carries. But. Like, that might have been one. Or there was a time we played the Panthers one time. We were... It was a weird... They were... And we were all in agreement. Like, Fred had deserved to go to the Pro Bowl, and he hadn't been. And it was ridiculous that he hadn't been. And so we were campaigning for him to go to the Pro Bowl, and we were playing the Panthers, and we were blowing them out. I think we're... I think he just had, like, maybe, like, 150, 160 rushing. And I was kind of coming in. (laughs) And when I came in, they had me block Julius Peppers. And I gave up a sack, and they started yelling at me. And I was like what do y'all want from me? <laughs> like, this is not success, you know? Uh, but after talking with the coaches and kind of sitting down, they were like, it's not like we wanted you to block Julius Peppers. That's just kind of how it happened. Like, the line checked to a protection where right. I had to come and block the end and it just so happened to be Julius Peppers. One of the greatest of yeah. all time. Yeah. and he got a sack. Like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, but when you're, you know, when, you know, I was so used to having success so quickly, when you don't have it, you automatically start thinking, like, people are against you.
0: Was pass pro um, the hardest thing for you as a rookie? Because for most rookie backs, I feel like that's the one thing. If you can't pass protect, you can't be out there on yeah, the
1: field. Yeah, no, so that, that was the easiest thing for me. Because at UCLA, like, we ran the exact same offense. We ran a pro-style offense at UCLA, and Eric Bieniemy was like, he used to tell us, as a 17-year-old, as a like, if you can't pass block, you can't play. So it's there true. was times, like, my my freshman year, I wouldn't play in games because I would be missing, guys would just be flying by me because it's moving 1,000 a, a miles an hour, you know? But when I got to the NFL, it was the same blitzes that I was seeing in college at that time. The pack was it wasn't none that spread offense. It was right. none of that. It was all pro style. So you were seeing the same stuff. Um, and so when I got to when I got to Jacksonville, that was easy. The the, the toughest part was just like the speed of the game was so fast. Like, like it was like Julius Peppers ran like a four-four. Like you just got guys that are bigger than you, faster than you, but you gotta find a way to be successful, you know? Um Is it
0: those guys? Is it the peppers of the world? To me, when I'm on the sideline during an NFL game, the most impressive thing to me is the way that guys like Peppers move. It's not running backs like you or wide receivers no. making great catches. I remember a couple of years ago, we had Frank Gore on a Thursday Night Football postgame show when he played for the Colts. Colts won the game. He was exhausted. Like literally couldn't put a sentence together yeah. because he was so tired. I'm like, dude, what's wrong? He goes, I've just been blocking clowning all day. Like that guy's a freak. I mean, and that's the one guy that comes to mind that's like
1: Pep. Yeah. No, I I mean, I played against the David Clowney. I mean, you, you run into some of these dudes. The thing is, is, like, at that point, the body control is so crazy. Like, I remember being in practice, and, you know, you never want to touch the ground in practice. You want to, like, thud up and go. And I remember running full speed at someone, and them running full speed at me, and then either they're ducking out of the way, and I'm ducking out of the way, like, in a split second. And so the body control is crazy. So when you get in these games, like, I could, like, I was fine with Julius Peppers and those guys. I mean, yeah, they were, there more athletic than most, but it's, it's all 11 guys how fast they get to the ball and how quick yeah. you have to make movements and adjustments. And you are exhausted after games. I mean, that's why guys train so many crazy ways now. I, I just remember, like, when the Elevation Max first came out, like, guys were using that, trying to control your breathing and just so you can be in shape because you have to play, like, it's a marathon, and like throughout this marathon, there's going to be a lot of things that go on on the field, off the field, in the building, outside the building that you have to handle and be able to let go and you know get back out there and play. And so it's it's a lot, man. It's it's you know I train with like it's funny I train with Frank Gore, Fred Taylor, Thomas Jones, Matt Forte, Lashawn McCoy, um, and we'd every every we would every summer we'd go train and we'd push each other to be like the best we could be um, because you need like you need guys that are at your position, you need to see like, your comp- pretty much your competition, right. what they're doing. Who are all day. the guys who are on the same level? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, there was a ton of guys. There was a, there was a bunch of other guys as well. I just, those are the guys that came off the top of my head. But, I mean, we had a ton of dudes. Like, Le'Veon Bell, when he was young, he trained there. Um, and so, like, you're just pushing each other every day to be the best you can be.
0: Time now for a quick break so I can tell you about our presenting sponsor, Viore. I think it's about time that you invest in your happiness. And this is a smart move because not only are you going to feel good, you're going to look good. Viore Clothing, performance apparel that you need to have right now. Not only do you look good, you feel good. It's the most versatile performance apparel on the market. It is soft. It is comfortable. It is functional. And it's One of the favorite things that I own. I wear it all the time. When I was traveling, I would wear it on planes. I wear it to the beach. They have these core shorts that have liners in them. You don't need anything else. Just slip on the shorts. Perfect for hanging around the house. Perfect for working out. Uh, The bank shorts, also very cool. It's kind of the the board short slash workout short all in one. They have unbelievable joggers, sweatshirts, and T-shirts as well, It's Viori, V-U-O-R-I, clothing.com slash helipod. That's where you go to get a 20%, 20% discount. Vioriclothing.com slash helipod. 20% off right now. Go there. I promise you won't be sorry. Now, back to the helipod. You had a lot of characters on that team. You mentioned a couple of them on defense. I think that rookie year, um, you had two pro bowlers, I think Rasheem Mathis. Yeah, Rasheem Mathis, yeah. Uh, I think Henderson were pro bowlers on the defensive side of the ball. What was the craziest thing you saw? I, like, oh. you came from a big-time program in UCLA. You came from one of the premier high schools yeah. uh, as well. That, you know, what, a 120-game, 150-game winning streak yeah. De La Salle. 151. That's incredible. But there are, when you get to the NFL level, you see stuff that you're like, what the hell is going on here? Like what was there something in season or like like guys pulling all nighters like to the uh, club or like anything, you start like, man, this I mean, is not what you, I expected.
1: You you start to learn that everyone is different. Like, I mean, like when I got there, Jimmy Smith had just retired. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, and we all I don't know if you know the Jimmy Smith story. Like literally the day I got there of mandatory minicamp, like he was in the locker room and then he was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And then we found out he was getting drug tested, and then it was kinda like, that's that what I was we it. doing it. So I mean there's all type of guys in this league that you learn or you hear stories. I I, I mean, I, I remember seeing guys, and I'm not going to say, any, I, I remember, like, coming back to the stadium a couple nights just because I forgot something or, you know, I may have maybe 10 o'clock at night, guys are in there gambling still. After a game. After practice. After practice. Yeah, after a game, everyone leaves. Right. Uh, I remember one time coming back, it's probably like 11.30 at night, because I wanted to sit in the sauna and get some extra sweating and try to drop some weight before we weigh I in. Can't the next imagine day. that with you, man. I'm getting skinny. You look good now. though. You've I'm lost getting... a couple lbs. I'm trying to drop it. Uh, and like guys are in there drinking, like just in the chop... locker room. In the, the locker stadium. room, just chopping it up. Because
0: your practice facility was at
1: the stadium. At the stadium, yeah. yeah. And so it was just like there, there, were, there was a lot of, there's a ton of different things like, and I've heard worse stories, other stories, you know. But it's just like to me, I couldn't do that. And that's what I learned. Like that's what you learn very quickly in the NFL. Like either. You can hang with some of these dudes or you can't. Like, so it's just, like, know your lane, you just gotta, Yeah, you just got to know how, how you got to get down. And so, like, I mean, I, I would go out and party and have good times and, I you know, pull all-nighters and go in there and get in the sauna and try to sweat it all out. I mean, I remember there was one night um, we were playing the Colts in my rookie year, and uh, I went out. Thursday, Friday night. And then before the meeting Saturday, we went out with my boys, came home. And I didn't think I was gonna play that much in the game. I mean, I was gonna play, but not like, you know, a long, a massive amount. I was gonna return kicks and punts and then play a couple offensive series here and there. Uh, and so, I mean, I was pretty, pretty hammered uh, three nights in a row. And so, I uh, wake up that morning And I get to go to the stadium, I sit in the I try to sweat out as much as I can, drink a couple PD lights. I'm like, I'll be fine. No big deal. Well, Fred gets hurt in, like, the second quarter. He ends up pulling up. And so now I'm the guy. And this is, like, like the beginning of the second quarter. So now I I have to do most of this running. And it's not like we're breaking. This is the game where we rush for 375 yards. So we're breaking off runs like like this. Like, I'm I'm going 60 this way, 60 that way, hungover. Like, rolling cats up, taking 90-yard kickoff returns to the crib. And then eventually I just cramp up and my body shuts down. <laughs> like, and it, I learned at that point that that ain't for me, you know? Like I had, a, I had a ton of success. I had a chance to break a record in the NFL and all these different things. I think I was like 30 yards away from an all-purpose record in a game.
0: I, I remember CP, Clinton Portis, telling me one time his best game he's ever had was when he was the most hungover of his life. It's funny how that works
1: sometimes. Oh, it's I mean, you 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 get super focused. But I just knew like that's not what I wanted to be, right? Like but again, like I was young, I was 20, 21 years old. <sighs> World in my had all this cash in my pocket, like, to live a little. You got to live a little, right? And so I uh I learned like very quickly like that's not what I want to do, right? Like I don't I don't want to do those things. I don't I don't want to be like that. Um because it just I didn't like the way I loved the way I played, but I didn't like the way I felt after the yeah. game. Like I was super sore. My body was like like parts of me were hurting that I'd never hurt before. You know, I was just kinda like eh, I don't want to do this anymore.
0: Well you figured it out, man. You made, you know, you made three Pro Bowls, you're an all-pro, you led the NFL in rushing. Um, you did have that holdout, right? So you yeah. signed that five year, $31 million deal. And then you were angling for, for another one. No question. Right? And then so you have that holdout, I believe it was May of 2012. Yeah. And when you look up that holdout, you, you Google some of the articles, um, it said, <laughs> accomplish nothing. It's a lose lose, lose scenario, and it, it, didn't, it didn't change anything. So immediately what comes to mind for me is did you ever
1: reach out to Melvin Gordon while he was going through his holdout? No, not at all. See, I, I think to, to the outsider, Yeah, like, it it might have didn't accomplish anything that they thought I should have accomplished. But for me, you know, what what they didn't understand during that whole process, it's crazy. Uh, In 2011, we were actually reworking. We were actually, like, redoing the deal. How many years into the deal were you? Uh, Like, two? Two. No, no, it was three. Three, okay. Yeah, so I literally was on the back end of my deal. Right. Um, At that point, you know, our GM had, like, literally taken the whole team away and we were rebuilding again. Um, we were playing teams that had eight, nine guys in the box every week. They're stacking the box. They were stacking you. the box every week, uh, and we were. And, and, and when I say we, I, I'm because it wasn't just me that deserved to get paid. It was the offensive linemen, Greg Jones, my fullback, our tight ends, our like even our receivers were selfless enough to go out there and block. Like most receivers don't want to block. These dudes are out there like going in and getting safeties out, and and. I, like my response was okay. We were redoing the deal, and then the owner sold the team. Um, so I was. So what, what was told to my representation was that, uh, like, just give us a second. We got to kind of figure things out, and then we'll get back to it in the off season. So all right, I was like, I was like, hey, I'm gonna keep doing my thing. Things will be fine. So we, uh, <laughs> the off season comes, and my agent goes and starts talking to him, and all of a sudden it's like they don't even remember this conversation being had. Like, it's like, oh, I don't know. What are you talking what, about? Yeah, what are you talking about? No, we're, we're looking to build and do this and that. And I'm like, hold on, bro. Like, we were literally in conversations like talking about restructuring and fixing this thing so it looks right, because at that point, I think Chris Johnson had just got paid. I had outperformed him. Like, all these dudes were getting paid, Arian so everybody was getting paid and I was still outperforming them. So I'm like, like this whole honor your contract thing, I don't believe in that because you, if I don't perform to a certain level, well, they can cut you. You can cut me right. or ask me to take a pay cut. So why, when I when I overperform or I outperform this contract, or when I'm getting X, I'm paid because of the market. The market has changed. I think you need to to, to work with me. And then, so, they, they the communication at that point started to fail. Well, so how did it end? Well, I mean, it, 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 I felt like it ended ugly. Like it got to the point where my kids were in school, you know, and Jacksonville's a very pricey. People start saying stuff to my kids. I really didn't like that. It, it ended with I sat down with the owner and I kind of explained to him what I felt what I needed um, for me to come back. And to be honest, I, I should have never came back. To be honest, I should have never but came back. But you like Shot Khan the new owner? I, at yeah, the time. I, I had no problem. It had zero to do with him. And I think that's where, like, he felt it is personal. Right. It was strictly business. This was it wasn't an attack on him or anyone else. It was strictly business. And but I should have never came back because I come back. And it's crazy because I don't do no training camp. I don't do anything. And I and and I think like, going into week seven, I was a leading Russian league again. On this shitty deal. Excuse my language. I don't know if we can. Hey, you can it's a yeah, yeah, podcast. It's a podcast. It's a <laughs> shitty deal. And I'm leading the league in Russia. And so literally we go to Oakland and my agents like are like maybe like two or three days before the game, like, oh, we just talk, like, we're gonna sit down and get this thing figured out. <laughs> and I break my foot. That was the end of it. I mean, it ended with me coming back, uh, holding a press conference. Um, but I was just like, at that point, I was kind of like, I wanted this. Was, it was less about the team and more about me showing my kids, like, you, you have when you you say you're going to do something, you do it, right? And I said I wasn't going to miss any games, and I didn't. But I wish that I was thinking differently. Like, I wish I would have had me now back then because I would have been like, I would come back week 10. Like what, literally what Le'Veon did, right. right? Like, like I'm not, like Le'Veon is very, he is a very business savvy person. And I think a lot of people don't like, they're like, oh, you lost money. Like to the average person, yeah, $14 million is a lot of money. No yeah. question about it. yeah, No question it's about it. It's more than the average person. Yeah. I think yeah. anybody. But this is what enough. I tell people, 14 million in this hand, and he got 30 something in this one. Like he, he won. Period. I and don't he got know, out. That He won. MJD. Like, how was he going to get? Because he could have get the. He could have. Right. So you think? So if he would have got four hundred more carries in the in this amount of money, you think he would have got this? Yeah. You think Pittsburgh? Would, no, there's no way. He had three years of making four hundred touches. He has a good. He he had.
0: He was coming off consecutive great seasons. He has one more of those. Why, he makes so his so fourteen, is, so and can can I, then he gets so to the thirty plus your,
1: guaranteed. How does he? How, but how do you know that he's going to make that? Because in our in our game, the reason I held out is. I can go out and practice and tear my ACL and when I'm done. True.
0: You don't know. And you then, don't that, know. And, that's and that's the difference with NFL contracts and NBA contracts. And, 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 and that's, and
1: that's why, as, as, as NFL, you have to do certain things. And so, for me, like, I wasn't going to risk my, my neck going out there again. Like, literally, there's tape of... We are playing the Titans in 2011 in, like, week 14 or something. And we come out in 22 personnel. And they literally have one DB out there... On our receiver and everyone else in the box. That's ten people in the box. But I, but I'm not worth it. To every everyone else in the league, I'm worth it. But to not to my own team, right? And and that was and that's always going to be the problem. It's, I
0: we see it all the time. Le'Veon Bell's a perfect example. That, yeah. That, but mentally, at, you were just kind of look at, look at over... what
1: happened to Pittsburgh since Le'Veon Bell has been there. What has happened? Have they made the playoffs? No.
0: James Conner has uh, has risen to a point where he is not late well, look what has, happened to Le'Veon has, Bell. Has... James Conner's a good NFL running back. Le'Veon Bell, I, he, he was not worth
1: the money Why? to the Jets this year. The Jets didn't use him. It's not that he wasn't worth the money. Adam, literally, so this is the funny part, and this is, what, this is where we have to look at the landscape completely different. I think we look at it as a player's fault. Adam Gase was in Miami. Right. With Ryan Tannehill, Kenyon Drake, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, and couldn't do anything. And these dudes go other places and flourish. So it may not be the player. It may be Adam Gase is not that, a good coach. No, that, that could be the point. It, but, it may uh, be the fact that Adam Gase doesn't give Le'Veon the ball. So how is that, Le'Veon supposed to ball when you don't give him the ball? Like, I don't... You no, see that's, what I'm a fair, that's a fair point. That's, that's 100% so a fair point. So how do we know if he's worth the money or not if you don't try to get it going? Like I, like, and, that's, and that's where... But, but is he still a top five running back in the NFL right now? I, most definitely, I think he is. I, I, you can utilize him in different ways. Like before, there was Christian McCaffrey. That's what Le'Veon Bell. They all met, they all changed their game off of him. Right. Like Christian McCaffrey when he first got to Stanford wasn't this tremendous route runner. But he saw the way Le'Veon Bell was running and doing the certain things that he was doing, becoming a versatile guy like Matt Forte and other guys. And then they changed their game. Look at Dal- look, look at all these young guys now. All of a sudden, everyone can catch out of the backfield. When I was playing. Everyone couldn't catch well, out in the backfield, it, you know. Like, it's not like Le'Veon Bell's the first running back that ran the ran routes. No, but he's the first one to do it on be first and second down back. Like you're talking about, like Kevin Falk, who was the Patriots, who was a third down guy, right? There's a lot of third down backs who could catch routes, but they couldn't be first, second, and third down guys. There weren't many of those.
0: Yeah, there were a few. I, right? No, I get your point. You know, Marshall was a great one of those. Yeah. And- um, obviously, Roger Craig, the two thousand thousand guys. That's interesting, though. The you think
1: of, start to think about guys that like Ledanian's one.
0: Ledanian, but but they, of course they had Sproles. They could yeah. do it when they needed him to. But he also had that third right. That's back what I'm saying. Up. Like
1: like it's not many guys that can do it. And 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 like I was one of the guys that like they they forced me to do it. That wasn't what I was used to doing because in college I never really caught passes. Right. But then I had to learn how to do it. But like Le'Veon came out of college. Matt Forte came out of college, being able to run routes and 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 and. And do so, so he's changed the game. It's, it's not his fault that his coach doesn't know how to utilize talent. Like it's like how does Devontae Parker have this great year the year after you leave? Like first thousand yard th- season in th- five years. Was, yeah. was, like, how, yeah. So whose fault? Like, let's be honest, like
0: whose fault is it really at this point? So you would not want to play for Adam Gase if you were. I would the NFL never right? play for Adam Gase. Okay, you're not you're not Adam Gase. I get it. I, I don't know. I'm just about what has he done? Like, what has he done? He made the playoffs one year in Miami. That's what he did. No, before he, he, before he got the Miami job, what did he do? He coached with he Peyton coached Manning? Peyton Manning. And Peyton has gone to bat for him at every job.
1: Obviously, I mean... Uh, he has na- some sway. So, the man so, has so, some sway. So now I, like my, when I look at Peyton Manning like you're a great quarterback, but coach evaluator, mm, Don't talk about, don't talk about Peyton like that. I'm just being honest. I played against him multiple times. He's a Come great on, man. Dude. He's a great guy. But evaluating coaches... He's had some good ones. Yeah, but he, Adam Gase ain't one of them.
0: Well, maybe Adam Gase was a great <laughs> quarterback coach, offensive coordinator. Right, he, Maybe may, just he not, may need to be a quarterback coach. He may be a quarterback coach, not all,
1: because he's the OC. He's been the OC, he's the OC in, in Miami. He called the plays in Miami. He called him in New York.
0: Let me let me ask you about Jack Del Rio then, since yeah. he's going to my Redskins as a defensive no coordinator. Is that
1: going to work? So I'll, I'll tell you. So when I got to Oakland uh, after I left Jack, I got to Oakland, and part of me going there was kind of help them, like, fix their culture, and like that was part of. It. I, granted, I wanted to play. But a lot of that was me going there and helping fix kind of what and they had going And we knew on. you knew. We've talked about this before. Yeah.
0: You knew that that was the it. End. Was, it, was, it was your last yeah. contract? You signed a three-year deal, but yeah. you in your head did not expect
1: to make it three seasons. I was going right. to try to play two, right. and then the third one just kind of try to steal it and, and do my thing. But right. at that point, it, it was like after seeing where I was, like and, and what the Raiders, what kind of what was going on, I was like, well, this is going to be a lot, right? Which is fine. Like I was okay with it ton of talent. They had everything there, but, like, the facilities were just so... It was just different. It's it was very antiquated. Yeah, it wasn't... Yes, it was, that's a great yeah. word for it. it. It wasn't... So, anyways, after the season, you know, you, they fired Dennis Allen. They, they have Tony Sperano there. And, you know, I get a call from Mark Davis. I'm, I'm literally landing in Vegas uh, for my, my wife's birthday. We, we go to Vegas every year for her birthday. So, we're in Vegas, and uh, I get a call. And they're like, hey, like, we need you to help us with, your, with, with our coaching search. I'm like, all right, like, it's the first time I've ever done it. But I get it. I played for some coaches. Like, who are the list? And so uh, they gave me the list. I made some phone calls to some guys that I know they're a coach with them. Um, and they I, gave you the list of people they were interviewing for the head coaching? Yeah. Year? they told Not the, like, not a, actually. but they told me the names. Okay. Um, and then they had, they had Jack Del Rio. And I was like, I know... Jack is such a stickler on the little things. He's such a stickler on it being clean, just the little stuff that it needs to be done, that that would change the culture right away. Like, it wasn't about... Like, a lot of of times, to change a culture is not about football. It's about how people walk into something every day, right? It's about, you know, making sure that the word excellence is throughout the whole building. But not... The food. The, the food. facilities. Yeah, the food, the cleanliness, the the facilities, the way people are treated, all those things. You just don't say commitment to excellence just because it's commitment Like No, like, everything has to be done off that, and then players will buy in. So uh, I really harped on to Mark Davis that, like, I think Jack Del Rio is probably your best candidate. I think that he's going to come in. I don't know who he's going to hire. I could care less who he hires, because it's not, again, it's, this is less about football. It's more about changing the building. Um and he did that. They went to the playoffs 2 years later like and so what I think what he's going to do with the Redskins is I don't again I don't I'm not I don't know that building. I don't know. I'm assuming it is tip-top shape. It's one of the, you know, it's I don't okay. know. It's
0: okay. It's actually not that great.
1: But I think that he's going to come in with Ron Rivera and they're going to they're going to have a plan together. Look at when he went to Denver, their defense changed like that. When yep. he went to Oakland, their defense changed like that. Right? Um and he's gonna fix the defense, however, it may be. I don't know if he's gonna still be a 3 4, if he's gonna to go to the 3 4 or 4 3, but he know, understands both. But it's gonna be whatever the message is, it's gonna be throughout the whole building, right? It's gonna be, it's, they're gonna be like the little sayings on the wall, but also like there's not gonna be trash on the floor, right? You're not gonna have like toilets stopped up. You're not like, this is just little stuff that happens. You know, like, Which is
0: hard to believe that it happens on the NFL level, but there are places oh, where it yeah. happens.
1: yeah, I mean, it, it happens everywhere. It happens on, in Fortune 500 companies. I mean, like, you have, it has to be the same message from the top to the bottom. And that's what he does. That's, that's where, where he was at his best. And so that's why I think, you know, he's going to be a great hire for him because the, the Redskins have a talented defense. Yeah. He's going to put guys in position to be, be successful. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a great one.
0: Well, I, I hope so with Ron Rivera and Del Rio. Uh, all right, two questions before we let you go here. Uh, you've mentioned Eric Bieniemy now yeah. twice in this interview. I know you think very highly of Eric <laughs> from highly. your days at UCLA. There's been much made of the fact that he's the latest offensive coordinator right. for Andy Reid. The last two are head coaches in the NFL.
1: It's very um, discouraging, I guess is the word, because you know Doug Peterson never called plays, got the head coaching job at Philly. Uh, Andy Reid, never called plays, got the head coaching job at Philly, right? Um, Matt uh, Nagy calls plays for six games. He just has a title, but he calls plays for six games, goes to Chicago. And then this dude, literally, in Patrick Mahomes' second year, like, is having an impact on calling plays. I don't know, like, last year, I don't know if he was calling plays. I know there were some points in the games that they would, like, they were, like, he was really involved but Patrick Mahomes was the MVP. He threw 50 touchdowns, right? This year, he is calling the plays. Like, I, I literally watched the game and see him calling the plays, and people are like, no, Andy Reid's calling. him. Like, no, he may be helping or guiding, but he's, t- like, Eric Bieniemy is talking to Patrick Mahomes or Matt Moore at that point, right? When, when Mahomes got hurt, they still were winning games with Matt Moore scoring points. Like, what else do you want? I don't, like, to me, it seems like <clears throat> Again, I'm just a guy out here, so I don't. I don't know. Talk to me, like, dude. I, I that's, why, that's, that's why we're doing that's this, with why we're, you. and that's what I'm telling you. So, like, I'm a production. This is a production-based business. Like, people only come to the games. You only sell tickets when you win, period. And I don't know some of these guys. I mean, Matt Rule seems like he's a great college coach, and he did a great job with Temple and Baylor, and you know, he, you know, he's gonna. Go in there and but you have to understand the raw raw stuff doesn't work all the time. And not in the league. Uh not every college not every, coach
0: translates into no, the NFL. No, that
1: doesn't happen. I, I don't and again, I don't know if he's gonna be good or not. I don't know. I, I hope it works out for him. I think that they're uh uh the owner for the the Panthers, Tepper, is doing a great job of trying to build that Pittsburgh mentality having a coach for a long period of time. David Tepper. Um, David Tepper, yeah. So um, but like look at look at what Mike Tomlin did for the Pittsburgh so He wasn't the sexy choice. Yet he hasn't had a losing season. Like, they get upset because he went 8-8 eight and eight this year without his quarterback, without a running back, because the running back was hurt the whole year, and A.B. was gone. Like, literally, like, he was just out there with dudes. He was on his Hodges. third-string quarterback. I don't care who you are. When yeah.
0: you're on Duck Hodges, your third-string quarterback from Sanford,
1: it's going to be tough
0: to win ball and, games. And you
1: went 8-8. You went eight eight. Yeah. Like, you were in the playoff race. Like, that they was crazy. They were talking crazy. about him for Coach of the Year He should, for be, for coach. He should be for Coach of the Year. Right. Because no one else could do that. I've never seen no one else do that. Um, and so I sit back, and and I don't know the special teams coach from the Patriots. I don't know him Joe at Judge. all. Joe Judge. Yeah, I, I don't know... Um, Anything about him. I mean, I, I mean, I could probably reach out and call some people, but like, at the end of the day, like, doesn't not that feel like Pat Shermer? Doesn't maybe that feel maybe like, a little bit. They, doesn't they, they, that feel like McAdoo? Doesn't that don't they, it? It all feels the same. Like you do, like. I I think when when you go
0: through this interview process, people are looking for different things, and I just want ju- winners, yo. Right? Like ju- I, just, I
1: just want I just want I just want to win. Like I could get, like you but have an explosive you, offense. Okay, you have bro Holmes, You have this track team. How can we get that over here?
0: So, but is that is that Andy Reid? Is that Bienaimé? That's what people are trying to figure out. Bienemy was running Andy... backs coach to OC. So I'm just I'm, what I'm saying is, you see people all the time succeed as head coaches. John Harbaugh is a perfect example. He was a DB coach and a special no. Teams he was board. a special teams special coach. teams coach in DB. He
1: did but, both. But, but let me tell you why he succeeds. Because he has an offensive coordinator that's a head coach, and he has a defensive coordinator that's a head coach. And those guys throughout his whole career, Rex Ryan left, Chuck Pagano left, Gary Kubiak left, right. uh, Jim Caldwell left, Greg Roman's probably going to leave soon, uh, Wink-, Wink Martin, all these dudes are all head coaches, and he allows them to coach their sides. The same thing when the Rams, when the well, shopping, look, hey,
0: they, You're saying head coach of the future. I mean, it, Greg Roman has not been a head coach. Wink Martin not will, been a head they coach. Will they be, will be. They yes. will be. I agree. For sure.
1: But part of being a head coach, and this is what people fail to realize, you don't coach anymore. You organize. You organize. Yeah. And that's where Eric B. And me, I've seen it. I've been in the meeting rooms with him. One of the most organized people there is holds people accountable. Some people may not like him. That's fine. I'm, I'm not supposed to be liked by everybody. You want to win? Like, Not everyone likes Bill Belichick. Not everyone likes Pete Carroll. Those are two different guys True. that do two different things. A lot of people don't like him. But you know what? They hold people accountable in their own way, shape, and form. And then they challenge guys to be better. There was a time... In in Kansas City this year, where Eric Bieniemy and Travis Kelsey got into it, because you know why? Travis Kelsey wasn't blocking, and, and he, he shoved he shoved Bieniemy yeah. on the sideline, and he said something, and he shoved Bieniemy on the sidelines, and the leadership that it took to swallow your pride as Eric Bieniemy and to go over there and be like, "Look, bro, like let bygones be bygones. We'll deal with this later, but I need you to block," and Travis Kelsey was like, "You're right, like my bad," and they hugged it out. They hugged it out same game what other literally what other coach do you know could do that like not only not only the fact Eric Bennett me like this other part that I always try to get people to understand about the NFL the locker room the chemist, the locker room chemistry is so it, it it will win you games it will lose you games period it will win you games and lose you games on the respect in the locker room and respect is shown by how much you're paying someone okay so If you're paying Joe Blow over here who ain't playing, playing, ain't doing nothing, I'm gonna look at the person at the top. I'm gonna look at the coach. Like, don't tell me you're about being great and successful in this, and you're paying this dude over here, and he ain't making no plays for us. You can't, you, 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 and and the thing, and the thing with Eric Biennium is he's been in the locker room, right? He played in the NFL for nine seasons. He can relate to any person on that field, regardless if it's a, a quarterback from, a white quarterback from Mississippi or a black dude from New York, he can relate to everybody because he's been in the locker room. A lot of these dudes have never been in the locker well, room and, before. And,
0: and I feel like bien is is like Vrabel in that he's kind of been every level of NFL player. He's been a running back that gets yeah. 20 carries a game. He's been a special teams guy. He's been a guy hanging on at the end of his career. Vrabel, very similar, right? Started which in is, Pittsburgh is, and then goes to Which New is one England. of
1: the things, I always tell people this all the time, like, Mike Vrabel, the reason those guys believe in him in Tennessee is because he's been there before. He can tell you the little nuances of what's going to happen in a game. Because he's played in some crazy... I played against him in some crazy games when he was in Kansas City. I remember one time he tried to cover me. That was a bad idea for him. (laughs) Just messing with you, bro. Um, But, like, that's why this team is bought in and they believe. Because you know what? My coach is telling me something that he didn't read in a book that he didn't see, like, that he did, that he's been in. And, and, and that is important. Like, granted, yes, there are a lot of players, there are a lot of coaches that have never played before that are successful. That happens. But when you have a team and you're trying to re-change some stuff and you're trying to fix some things, for example, if we talk about the Giants, how do you go in, the, in week one against the Cowboys, how does Saquon have 11 carries for 126 yards but that's it. How does he have eleven it carries? Doesn't make in that any game? sense to me. Which
0: same thing you said about Le'Veon not having twenty touches. I don't. Like, I don't, like
1: don't, th- those are those are things that you have to have a you have to feel the locker room. You have to have a beat in the locker room. And I know, I know for a fact, because I've been to Kansas. i actually going to Kansas City uh, for this Houston, Houston, Kansas City game. And I know I've talked to players there. People may not like like people may not like. Eric being at me. When I was in college, I didn't like him either as a coach because he was hard. And he was your position. He was my position. He recruited me like out of the Bay Area to come to L.A. First recruited me to Colorado, then I followed him to L.A. Um, He's tough. He's hard. But I was all American. I broke, I broke three national records in college. Then I went on to have this crazy NFL career from a kid coming from a small farm town called Antioch in the Bay Area that you would have never known about. He challenged me to be better. Yet people don't, in this day and age, people don't want to be uncomfortable. They want to be liked. Like, oh well, I think the guys are gonna like him. No, I, like, I want to win. I can care less if, if you like me or not. Like, let, let's just win. I just, I just rather win, and you can we can talk about liking me in the off season when I have this championship ring. So, Eric Enemy checks a box for a head coach. Oh, definitely. And, and, and it's, it's crazy. He's outside the box. He's different. He's not. He's not the same type of coach. Like, and it's okay. Like that's that's the other part. Like. You don't have to have the cookie-cutter coach every time. Right. Like, maybe you, want, you might want to try this outside-the-box thing, and, and, and it might work. And if it does work, you're going to look like a genius, and then guess what? Everybody's going to start to follow your mold, because that's what this league is anyways. This is the copycat league. But It's,
0: it's not going to be the young Sean McVay's forever. Um, all right, finally, before uh, we let you go, I have to ask you, because I can't remember if we talked about this on air one time, you stoned Sean Merriman in a oh. game so badly, and this was during like his heyday, man, like when Dur- he was getting like 13, 14 sacks a year. And
1: did you know at the time, like as you set up, you're like, oh, I got him, I got him. <laughs> well, we had set up, well, so, you know, he got set up. It was a setup. It, <laughs> it, set it was It was set up throughout the week. Like we were doing, because we, like, you have certain guys that are game changers that correct right. the game. He was definitely one of them, you know. And he was getting a lot of sacks because they were running. It was, uh, I want to say Wadefield was the DC there too Think at the so. time. Yeah. And they, they run a certain defense where normally, like, the strong side guy is getting blocked by the back or the tight end or different people. And so he was, like, taking advantage of guys. It was bad. And so we said, okay, we're going to do this dr- on, like, the third drive of the game, we're going to take him out. But not, not like a, a bounty, but we're going right. to have different guys block him. We're going to double team them. We're going to chip them. We're going to do all these different things. And then once we get down to the, the end zone, like, we're going to have you block them. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so throughout that drive, like, we had a receiver come and crack back on them uh, on a toss play. We had our tight end, two tight ends block them and, like, drive them down. Greg Jones and I blocked them. Fred blocked them. Uh, we had a couple of the dudes come and get, a, get like, Lyman chip up. We just did a bunch of stuff. We got down to, the, to the, uh, the the end zone. And you can tell he was trying to figure out where these guys were coming from. Because you, know? you were coming. It was like we're an, an coming ambush, from like where, all different Yeah, ambus. they're coming from everywhere. He, he was, like, looking. <laughs> and so, finally, I think he felt like I was coming and I was going to cut him. Because everyone at that point, like, cut him. And then my running back coach, Kennedy Polo, who's with the Vikings right now, was like, don't cut him. He was like, he's going to put his hands down. You're going to hit him right in the chin. I was like, all right. <laughs> so uh, he would get there. They call the play. Everyone's like, you're going to hit him up high? I was like, yeah, I'm about to let him. I'm about to give him everything I have. I'm gonna All the cleans we've been doing, I'm going to give it to him. And sure enough, like, we come off the ball. The tight end bluffs him. He gets to Greg. Greg bluffs him. And then, like, he sees me, and he puts his hands down like this. And the... <sighs> He was wide open. He was wide open. Oh. It was, and it just, it was it was one of those, it's like when you hit a baseball and you hit it and you can feel how sweet, like you don't even feel like, or you hit a golf ball, I don't even feel like anything. Sweet spot. Pow! I just caught him. And he sat down. Oh. And it was just, it, it was a, it was a great job by our coaching staff, great job by all the other guys doing their stuff, and it just, he, he, we are both friends with Sean Merriman. Yeah, yeah, I'm awesome. Uh, he, he,
0: he's, a butt, he's a great dude, but that was... I can't remember if you were on the show or not,
1: but we showed we must have showed that thing yeah, ten yeah, I times was, on yeah, that film he network. Yeah, he was funny. Bah! I mean, like, and it's funny. If you look go back and look at the whole drive, you'll see different guys blocking like, right. them. Receivers were blocking them. Like, they were just coming from everywhere, and we were just getting yards, and, and it, it set up perfectly for that to happen. And, uh, yeah, man, he came down, he saw me, he thought I was going to cut him, because everyone had cut him at that point. I just caught him up high. It's amazing. Dude, the NFL's leading Russia. we're going to end this podcast talking about a block on Sean Merriman. Yeah, but that, you know, it's, it's that's football, man. That's the difference. Thanks, Appreciate
0: brother. you, Dan. Appreciate you, man. No problem.